of intermittent fasting as a tool, not the answer for everybody. There's a lot of interest in this intermittent fasting as this new eating pattern. You just go on Amazon and put in intermittent fasting and 2,000 books show up. So there is a lot being written on it and a lot of people are talking about it. But today, let's find out where is the science stand on intermittent fasting. This is Spot On, a healthy wellness podcast for college students soon-to-be college students or anyone that knows a college student. Spot On breaks through the latest health and wellness information hijacked from media headlines to provide you with accurate and usable information that is, well, spot on, spot on to meet your needs. I am your host, Dr. Joan Salji Blake. I am a nutrition professor at Boston University and the author of the college textbook called Nutrition in You, which is used in colleges across the United States and abroad. Today's Spot On episode is going to be talking about intermittent fasting. You know, I, I Googled it, and in a nanosecond, 50 million results appeared. So what is going on with intermittent fasting? Let's go on to the streets and find out if folks know what it is and if they are using it. I've actually done it before. It works, but it hurts. It's not necessarily something that like I would recommend for everybody because I feel like everybody has their own dietary styles. I don't know how effective it is, honestly. It seems like kind of an unhealthy attitude towards food. I would say the better way to go is just, you know, finding the right amount of exercise and matching your eating schedule with your daily schedule and finding a good routine for it rather than going instantly to fasting. I actually have a few friends that are doing that. It's, I guess it's a lifestyle they choose to do, but I guess the problem is a lot of them, they just say like, I'll do it. And then after two weeks they quit and then they go back to their normal routines. I think that a lot of people use it as a way to make them feel healthier about maybe not eating healthy during those periods when they're not fasting. I feel like it's not healthy. I don't know, I feel like you should just like, instead of just not eating, you should, I don't know, eat healthier. I feel like there are a lot of fads when it comes to eating and how you eat, especially to manage weight. Um, and I honestly don't know if fasting is as effective as other ways of maintaining a healthy weight. I am so excited to have today on Spot On uh, to talk about this whole thing about intermittent fasting, uh, Dr. James Hill, and he is one of the world's most foremost experts in obesity and weight management. I was lucky enough to be with this man at a conference in Toronto very, very recently, and of course he spoke because everybody loves to hear him. He is a chair uh, of the Department of Nutritional Sciences and the Director of Nutrition Obesity Research at the University of Alabama in Birmingham. He was for years at the University of Colorado. He's been a president of not only the American Society of Medicine, but also the Obesity Society. He's published over 600 articles and book chapters. He's actually authored two books. Um, he's also co-founder of America on the Move, is a national weight gain prevention initiative that I'm sure we're going to talk more about. But 
let let me just get right to the thing of what makes this man brilliant. And really, the the thing that really makes Dr. Jim here brilliant is that he had the foresight to marry a registered dietitian nutritionist. <laughs> Absolutely. I take total credit. Yeah. And we all know, I mean, this all this like bio you sent me, I don't care. She's the key to your success. I mean, let, you, you're very astute, my dear. Yes. Um, hello. Hello. All right. So the smart man with the, with the even smarter wife uh, is an expert on weight management and obesity, and he is going to help us out with what is intermittent fasting and why it's such the rage. So please, Dr. Jim, what is intermittent fasting? What a great question, Joan. And in fact, uh, there's not one definition of intermittent fasting. What what we're trying to do when we suggest the concept of intermittent fasting is extend that period of time during the day when you don't eat. So let's say typically you might go eight or nine hours not eating, basically when you sleep, mm -hmm. and during the other time it's like fair game. So intermittent fasting is saying let's have some periods where that fasting period is longer. In some cases, it can be a whole day. So alternate day fasting is one thing that's popular where every now and then you take a day and you don't eat or you eat maybe up to 500 calories. There are so many variations in this. So a typical one would be every other day you fast and then the following day you eat what you want. Okay, Jim, just every other day you fast? I, I mean, that is, I mean, you know, I, I was raised Catholic, so I, I used to dread Good Friday because you weren't supposed to, you're supposed to fast in between right. meals, in between meals, and that killed me. That right. was like the longest day of my life. Right. And so the fact that every other day you're going to fast, I, wow. But, but, but there again, if you don't like that one, you can do one where you fast two days a week. It's called the 5-2 plan, okay. or you can do the 6-1 plan, so you can eat five days a week normally, Two days a week, you either fast or you eat, you know, very little, up to 500 calories, or can do that once once a week. So there's, you know, you can sort of mix and match and and model it to uh, to what you prefer. It's hard for me to believe that people could do the alternate day for a very long period of time. Right? Uh, I, yes, I would think so. Probably I... do that for a while, uh, but I think it'd be very hard to do forever. And that's one of the problems uh, with this is that clearly people can do it in the short term. The question is, is it a long-term tool, or maybe it should be used as a short-term tool? Like, when you, when you, what do you mean by short-term tool? Like, In other words, one of the ways we're particularly interested in it is after people lose weight, and by the way, we're pretty good at producing weight loss, where we run into problems is keeping the weight off. And so one of the things that we teach people is this is a tool that when you have a rough patch during weight loss maintenance, Maybe for a week you do alternate day fasting. Okay, then. While you get through the rough spot, mm -hmm. then you go back to the way you were. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a long-term tool. It could be a short-term tool. Oh, so that's, that's very, very interesting. I didn't even think of it like that. So not only could it possibly be a weight loss tool, we'll talk about what the science says, but, but for maintenance, because, you know, we're yeah. all, I, you're so on the mark there. But we're very good about losing weight. We just, we just yes. can't keep it up. So. That's right. There yeah. are so many ways to lose weight. And most of, most of the time, people don't keep it off. So we desperately need better tools for weight loss maintenance 
more so than for weight Great. loss. Okay. So it's just it's really, really interesting because a recent survey by the International Food Information Council mm-hmm. said that about a third of young consumers are following a certain eating pattern to help them you know, better manage the weight or lose weight. And the yep. number one choice was this intermittent fasting. So this is something that's catching on. But you can't, I, I, I'm assuming that you can't like fast and then the next day you're eating like it's the last supper, and, you know, pardon the, another Catholic pun here, but you can't like gorge the next day, right? Is that? Well, here's what's interesting. Uh, it, it, the data suggests that if you do this alternate alternate fast day, mm-hmm. you do eat more the day after the fast, but you don't totally make up the calories. Okay. So over the two days, you would eat less this way than on two regular days. Now, why is that, Jim, Dr. Jim? Why, why would you eat less the second day, like, you know, after the fast day? Uh, good question, and if I knew that, I would be much, much smarter than I am, but it probably relates to the way our brain regulates food intake, so the day after, we're eating a lot. We actually overeat, so, you know, our brain in the short term is telling us that we're pretty full because we're overeating, but because we fasted the day before, that excess is not a day's worth. It's less than a day's worth. That's really, really interesting. Now, besides, well, what does the science say? Does the science say that you know, people can, you know, lose a lot of weight doing this? Where is that? So, you know, Joan, believe it or not, I just came from a seminar that oh. someone gave on this topic. So Ooh. I'm really smart today. Okay. Oh, good. And she, and she reviewed the science. And, and the best science suggests that it's not any better than regular calorie restriction, okay. but it's as good as. Okay. Uh, But this idea that, oh, it's a wonderful way to lose weight, science doesn't support that. It does support you can lose weight with it. And if that's something that's easy enough for you to do, and we'll get to this, I'm sure, I don't think there's a lot of downside to that. Right. You you know, Dr. Jim, I I would think that for some people, you know, having to make food decisions every day is like a full-time job. Absolutely. Right. And so the fact that they can say, look— Tuesday, I'm not making any decisions. And I wonder if they're almost relieved by that. I think you're exactly right. And I think the point you bring out is that people are different. So I've tried this. And you know what? It's not bad. I can do this fairly easy. I asked my wife to try it. After two hours of fasting, she gave up and said, there's no way I'm going to do this. Well, because she's smarter than you. Did we not start (laughs) off this whole conversation? That goes goes without saying, but... (laughs) My point is that people are different, and for some people, it may be a relief to do this, right. and it may be fairly easy. For other people, it's not for them. The problem we run into is we want to go totally to this new thing, and there's not going to be one thing that works. So think of intermittent fasting as a tool, not the answer for everybody. You know, the only downside I could really think about would be like if you're on certain medications, like just say you have diabetes and you're on certain medications that better con- uh, controlling your blood glucose levels. To be fasting, that could be a problem. So I would think before you do this, if you have any medical issues around certain medication, probably pass um, intermittent fasting by your healthcare provider to make sure it's appropriate for you. What about on the fasting day? or you're eating maybe like only 25% of your calorie, t- typical calories, what about 
when you go exercise? Like, is that going to be a problem? Um, I don't know a lot of good research there, but my guess is no. I don't think it's going to be a problem. Again, these are short-term kinds of things, and it's kind of a, a, an interesting uh, commentary on our society that we think of a one-day fast as this, oh my God, this is an amazing sort of thing, when probably our ancestors did this all the time, maybe not intentionally. Right, right, right. So I don't, I'm not worried about that. I don't think it's going to be a problem. Um, you know, if you were fasting for a week in a row, yeah, you, you begin to do it. But on one days, I don't think the exercise is going to be any problem okay. at all. Now, besides the potential for weight loss and weight management, which we'll get in a second, but are there other health benefits of doing this? Yeah, that's where the science is a little uh, unclear right now. In some studies, here, number one, when you lose weight, the benefits of weight loss are so powerful on health, on lipids, on glucose, etc., that data are a little mixed about whether alternate day fasting might be better or worse than constant calorie restriction on those factors. My reading of the gestalt of the literature is there's not really much difference. You get benefits both ways. Yeah, okay. And lipids is, is the fat in the blood. So when you say to get yes, it, it decreases. Exactly. The, okay. Now, so it, it, on the day that you're fasting, so you're not worried that, like, you're going to lose muscle mass or anything? No. Okay, you don't have to worry no. about that. Okay, it's good. Too, it's too, it doesn't happen that quickly. Okay. I, I actually don't think there's a downside. The only downside I see is that people can't stick with it. Right. I, I don't see a health downside. But again, there are some people, like my wife, who just, oh, fasting's not for me. I can't go without eating. Okay, fine. Find another tool. Right. Right. Well, on Good Friday, I'm going to call your wife, and maybe she'll have sympathy <laughs> for me when I'm fasting in between meals. Um, the Tell me about this time-restricted yeah, eating, because this that's is really the interesting. More interesting right, one. I'm right. glad you brought that up, because I, I think it's far more interesting than uh, alternate-day fasting. So here's the concept of time-restricted feeding. To simply say what we're going to change is the times of day you can eat. We're not going to tell you what to eat. Now we're going to say that rather than eat all day, for example, you can only eat between 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. We're not saying what you eat. Eat anything you want. But you just can't eat before 10, and you can't eat after 6. And interestingly enough, this produces a little bit of weight loss. It is mm. not a panacea for weight loss. Mm -hmm. But in a way, it's producing weight loss without calorie restriction, per se, which is why I find it pretty interesting. Now, Dr. Jim, is, is it because um, when you, you're limited to that time of the day, you're probably going to end up taking in less calories because a lot of people, you know, they snack from the time dinner is finished until Jimmy Kimmel comes on, you know. But, uh, or is it that there's something metabolically going on? Great question, and that's what a lot of people are trying to figure out. We don't know the answer to why. It started out with, um, with animal studies, mm -hmm. basically studies with rodents, and it was pretty clear in rodents this time restriction has a big effect. doesn't seem like um, humans have as much of an effect. So if you really are worried about your fat rodents, time-restricted feeding is really the way to go. For humans, it's a little bit more complex. Right, so we have a pet rat. We got to, you know, feed pet that rat. rat. Timed yeah. 
restricted right. feeding, <laughs> I'll be very lean. Okay, good. We hate fat fats. There we go. So what is this whole circadian rhythms? Because this is sort of plays into this time-restricted eating, right? Yeah, it does. And it's where it makes things more complicated but more interesting. Right. So circadian rhythms are the fact that you take any hormone. God, mm-hmm. we got, what, a zillion hormones mm-hmm. in our body. You take any hormone, it has a circadian pa- uh, pattern. So it'll be high at some times, lower at some times, D- and it differs during the day, and it differs for individuals. Your body's uh, sort of whole metabolic processes change in a circadian pattern, and there's some thought that if we take that into consideration, it's this ideal personalized nutrition, right? It might help us better understand what to do for you versus your neighbor. So this whole, the circadian rhythms is like this 24-hour rhythms in your yes. body, right? So this yes. is, it, 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 it kind of is in lockstep with your uh, everyday light and dark cycle, right? So this is yes. the rhythms. Okay. So they're thinking that maybe the hormones are different at night than they are during the day, and that might play a part in this whole metabolism and, and how food is stored or, or how calories are stored as fat or used as fuel. Um, and that could be really interesting. If that's the case, and if it's, you know, this time-restricted eating works and you don't want people munching at night, I'm wondering, should we go to the old adage that, you know, eat breakfast like a king and lunch like a prince and dinner like a pauper? So I think what we know is we have some really good hypotheses there. We don't have the data yet to say that's the case. So it makes sense. It's a good theory. But what we don't have is the data to show if that's right or not. I think what you're going to see is that science is going to be coming out pretty soon. And so that old adage of, you know, eat a lot early in the day and less later in the day might be true. We just don't have the science today to back it up. Right. Okay. Good. So when that comes out, could um could you call me and then can I'll we? Ha- you'll be first on my list. Okay. No, I bet your wife is going to be the first. Oh yeah. But then, all right. Then I'll be second. And I'm having to get back on there. So that is great because I think that would be another interesting way for people to better manage, you know, how they're eating. And when you think about it, food is fuel, and you know, it would make more sense to put the fuel in earlier in the day than, than later at night when you're sitting on the couch doing nothing. So that. But will- I'll give you an even more important one than that that we do. Have have the science for right now. So what you're saying is, does diet match metabolism? Mm. One of the things that we know for sure that has a huge impact on metabolism is my favorite behavior, which is exercise. So if you're an exerciser, the the, the best diet for you is different than if you're not an exerciser. Oh, tell me more. So if you're an exerciser, so let's take the... um, Uh, The favorite villain today, which is sugar, right? Mm -hmm. We're telling people to eat less and less sugar. If you take the top athletes, and uh, I had a friend who measured food intake during the Tour de France, and Mm -hmm. these guys were consuming massive amounts of sugar. Mm -hmm. So the idea, it's not sugar per se, it's excess sugar. So if you have a metabolism where you're not exercising, you're not burning a lot of calories, yeah, you better limit fat and sugar. But if you're an exerciser where you're burning and oxidizing these things, the long and short of it, Joan, if you're exercising, you can have way more fun with your diet without getting into trouble than if you don't. 
the whole idea is, okay, you know, we, we're trying to uh, get the weight off or, or this intermittent fasting, but you're thinking that it may be even better to better manage your weight. And can you explain why is it so difficult for people to manage the weight loss? Yeah, it's it's a tough one. And anybody who's tried to lose weight knows that. And, you know, for years and years and years, we kind of blame the person. Joan, if you would just step away from the table, everything would be fine. What we know now is there's really biological, environmental processes that make it tough to keep weight off. So we actually came up with the concept of the energy gap. So if you're an overweight person going along just fine, and we measured how many calories you were burning. Mm -hmm. Let's just say, for example, you're burning 3,000 calories a day, okay? Now we put you in a weight loss program. As you lose weight, you have a smaller body, which means your metabolic rate is tied to your body size. It's going to go down. You're moving a smaller body, so Mm -hmm. you're actually moving a smaller weight. So after weight loss, if we were to measure your energy expenditure again, we might find it was 2,700 calories. So you've decreased your, the, the calories you burn by 300. Now what that means is to keep your weight off, you either have to eat 300 calories less forever or to increase your exercise by 300 calories or some combination. But that concept is you have a behavioral gap that you have to make up. And from the, the bad news is it seems to last forever. That n- never goes away. So you have to find a way to change your behavior permanently by that 300 calories. Boy, you know, Dr. Jim, and you, you couple that with, you know, our sedentary lifestyle that, I mean, we yes. you know, are sitting all day long. And we don't even get up and walk to the printer. When you print out something on your computer, you remember you used to have like one one printer on the floor of a building. Now every every office has a printer or every, you know, so, and, and what you can do on a smartphone that people are just sitting all the time. So we really, so if you lose the weight, you really have to be very, very conscientious of not overeating that 300 calories, that example Well, used. it gets worse. Oh. And again, I'm not trying to be depressive here because people can be successful. But as you lose weight, your metabolism is going down, but also the hormones that stimulate you to eat go up. So in other words, it's almost as if your body's working against you. So you require less calories, but your also brain is telling you you're hungry, okay? So that's why it's so hard to keep weight off because you have to fight against that. And then you go down and walk the streets of Boston where you see the donuts here and the candy store here. And it's sort of, oh, my gosh, how do you, how do you push back against all that? Okay. You, you are depressing me. <laughs> but a lot of people do it. Yeah. They really do it, and they figure out a w- way to do it over the long term. Now, the fact of the matter is still very few people lose significant amounts of weight and keep it off. Lots of people lose the weight. Right. Very few keep it off, and it's very hard to do. And to help people do that, we're going to help them, have to help them both with behavior change, but also we need to see how we can create a little bit healthy environment to right. make it less hard to keep the weight off. Right. You know something? You are correct. And, and the environment that we live in, um, it, it doesn't, it isn't uh, waste friendly. And I'll give you an example here. Here on Boston University, Boston University is a very long uh, campus. It's, it's 1.5 miles from the 
start to all the way to the end point. And Dr. Jim, there are, I'll tell you, tell me, how many Starbucks do you think are on this campus that is 1.5 miles? Oh my gosh, I, five. Six, Dr. Jim, six. Wow. Now, well, you don't want to have to walk more than a block to there, get your coffee and croissant. That's right. They, God forbid if you have too but, many steps but, on but your Joan, Fitbit. Turn, turn that around. <laughs> and if I, if I were picking places where you say, oh, my God, the environment, that's so hard to change, a college campus could be it, – it's doable. Right. If, if the students – really wanted to empower themselves and say, you know what, we demand a healthy campus. Uh, college campuses could be great healthy places. So you, you guys should figure out how to change that environment. Well, to our defense, I have to tell you here at Boston University, we have uh, a magnificent uh, exercise, fit rec, that the students absolutely love and a great uh, food. Uh, in the dining hall, it's like really, really healthy food, um, and that's thanks to my registered dietitian, nutritionist friends who set that up. So we do a lot, and and the fact that it's such a long campus, it, you're getting a lot of steps in just to get from class to class. So that's really good. But See, I think that's great, and I think college campuses could be these healthy environments. Right. And I think it'd be really fun if the students got engaged in saying, you still want to have fun. I mean, come on. You go to college to have fun, right? Not to learn. I'm just kidding. But um, <laughs> you you want it to be a fun place. But a healthy place doesn't have to be a non-fun place, just like right. – Every dietitian knows that healthy food can taste good. Right. That's, that's, and I would love to see college campuses sort of be out there saying, we're going to be these little conclaves of healthy environments. Well, I, I have to tell you, though, you said that not very many people can um, keep the weight off. But, uh, Dr. Jim, I know some people that have, and it's called the National Weight Control Registry, yeah. and you created this. So why don't you tell everybody about this? Because this is really fascinating. So this is where we've, we've, we've done the depressing part. This is the optimistic part coming out, just to clue in your listeners. So if you're, if you're like crying in the towel thing, we're, we're yeah. actually going to get positive here at the okay. end. So uh, with my colleague Rena Wing, and I, Rena Wing and I, Rena is a very famous, wonderful behavioral psychologist. Back in 1993, we started collecting um, people who had succeeded in weight loss. We said, okay, the sense was then, well, nobody succeeds. People lose weight. Nobody can keep it off. And, you know, we said, well, is that true? How are we going to know that? Well, let's go out and see if there are people out there that have lost weight. So we started a registry of people that had lost at least 30 pounds Ooh. and had kept it off for at least a year. This was in 1993. So we've been doing it ever since. We're following over 10,000 people. Wow. Okay? Now, I don't know what the denominator is. Maybe these are the only 10,000 that have been successful out there. <laughs> we don't know how many, but we know that there are at least 10,000 out there that have been successful. And these people have been wildly successful. The average weight loss is 70 pounds. No kidding. For about six years. Wow. Okay. These people are successful. Now, they're the exception, not the rule. And so what we've tried to do is learn from those people. 
Now, the first thing we learned, you know, my goal, Joan, here was to figure out how they lost weight, write mm-hmm. a diet book, and make a gazillion dollars and retire to Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Well, it didn't work out. Oh, yeah, okay. Didn't work out because there was no similarity in how they lost weight. No kidding. They used every diet known to man. Hmm. So any, so, any, any diet that cuts calories, then, you're telling me is going to work? Gee, is that not a shocker? <laughs> any diet that cuts calories works. Oh, but what stop, found, I'm blushing. <laughs> where, we, where we started seeing the similarities in, it was in how they're keeping it off. Okay. okay. And the first thing we learned is weight loss is different than weight loss maintenance. Okay. So, but what you just said told us before. Okay. Yeah. So a lot of people go into weight loss. They go on a diet and they say, "I'm going to go on this diet forever." Well, guess what? Mm-hmm. You can't. You yeah. get hungry. Right. So what happened is we see a number of similarities in how these people are keeping weight off, and I'll list some of them. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, you know, in in today's era, we've sort of um, we've decided fat's good rather than bad. Mm-hmm. Um, these people actually eat a pretty low-fat diet, mm. so they, they still say they're watching fat. They okay. report about 26% fat, and I think they underestimate, so probably under 30%, which is a fairly low-fat diet. Today. Right, right. I mean, just, but, just so you know, fat has more calories per bite than carbohydrates or protein, so they're cutting calories, it sounds like, by exactly. that, that, that method. It's, okay. This, this right. is not rocket science. Right. It actually makes sense. Mm-hmm. But that's the other thing is they pay attention to calories. Right. You okay. know, back in the, what, 70s and 80s when we were pushing low fat, mm-hmm. people would pay attention to fat, but then they would eat the whole box of low-fat cookies. Right. So they weren't paying attention to calories. Sure. These people pay attention to fat and calories. Okay. They self-monitor, which means they weigh themselves. A Mm. lot of them keep food and physical activity records. Again, they're paying attention to their own behavior. Most people out in the world eating, you don't pay attention to what you eat, which is Mm. why if I ask you what you ate yesterday, people aren't very good at knowing that. Mm -hmm. And what these people do is consciously, periodically pay attention to what they eat. See that's good. So they're they're, they're always watching. Uh, you know, they're always they're keep... always watching. Right, right, right. And then they use the scale. You know, we ask people. You know, there's some people out there that say, "Oh, lose weight, throw away the scale, don't worry about it." These people say, "Well, if I don't have the scale, how do right. I know if I'm gaining weight?" Right, right, right. So the scale is an early warning system. Right, right. Now what we tell people is, guess what? The scale doesn't control you. Do not let the scale control you. It's simply a tool. Right, right. Don't worry. Don't, you know, I've stayed away from the scale for a week, but I'm afraid. No, it's simply a tool that tells you when you need to pay attention. Right. And and, and what about their physical activity? Are they... Ah, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that is the most important thing they do. 91% of these people do a lot of physical activity, which means 9% don't. So, yeah, if you're saying, oh, my gosh, I want to lose weight and not exercise, you might be in the 9%, mm-hmm. but your chances are much better at being in the 91 that exercises. On average, they're reporting about an hour a day of exercise. No kidding. And so people say, well, is that a lot or a little? 70 pounds of weight loss. Can you give me an hour a day? Yeah. Where am I going to find time? Oh, my gosh, I might have to cut my television watching from five hours to four. Oh, boy, there you go. Ugh. So that's a big one. Right. And I, I, most of my research has led me to believe 
that without that significant and permanent increase in physical activity, your chances of keeping weight off are very low. Dr. Jim, can we, that one hour, do we have to do, we don't have to do no, all? No, you can break okay, it up. Okay, good, 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 good. But you can't do it all with just walking around. You, you really need to plan some exercise into your day every day. Right. And we're creatures of habit. Right. And what we tell people, you've got to plan ahead. If you get up and say, oh, my gosh, well, I exercise today, you're a toast. Your body's, you're going to lose. Yeah. You've got to know the night before what you're going to do the next day. Right. So you got to pack everything up and get up yes. and do it. Okay. Yes. yes. And just get it over with it and you have to do it. Yes. So, you know, it sounds like this intermittent fasting, it, 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 it could work for some people. It could work for maintenance. Cause that, so this is good. I was expecting you to say no, no, no. But it may, so it may the work. The problem is we go all in on intermittent fasting. It's the answer. No, Mm -hmm. it's not the answer. It's a tool that can be used. I don't have any problem. If those kids on campus are using intermittent fasting, I don't have a problem with it. But I will tell you, they're unlikely to be able to sustain this forever. Mm -hmm. They've got to be physically active. Mm -hmm. They've got to do some other things on top of that. But I'm not concerned about the downside. I just don't think this alone is the answer. It's a tool, not the answer. Okay. But it sounds like that we have to make some, you know, changes in our behaviors, getting up and moving and exercising, maybe washing up portions and um, counting and being more mindful of of what's going on in our diet. That's exactly right, John. All right. Well, Dr. Jim, thank you so much for being on Spot On. And I think we ended on a happier note. Do you yeah, think? We, you know, you depress people okay. at first, but you okay. need to get them okay. optimistic at the end because I think we have to figure this out. Yes, it's yes. not if we figure it yes. out. The consequences of not figuring out are, aren't great. We've got to solve this problem. And at the end of the day, it's not just that people are going to be leaner. They're going to be happier. Right. I, I totally agree because they, they're going to be happy about the fuel that they're putting in their body. Yes. And they're going to be happy about moving their body. Yes. So, my dear, thank you so much for being on Spot On and sharing your wisdom with us. It was such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for listening to Spot On. I am your host, Dr. Joan Salji Blake. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Joan Salji Blake. Please subscribe to Spot On through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you find your podcasts. Also, visit our Facebook page to join the conversation and tell us what you'd like to hear in future episodes. And oh, by the way, could you ask five of your friends or family members to download Spot On and subscribe to it? Do I ask a lot from you?